it's a terrible nightmare for journalists. You get all ready to interview somebody, you do all your planning, you've got your equipment laid out, you hit record, and you have the conversation. You finish the conversation, you go back and check to make sure that the recording worked. When I interviewed Lawrence Gowan of Sticks about a month ago, everything seemed to be working perfectly. We had a great 25-minute conversation, and as we ended, I hung up and was all excited to go back and listen. When I pulled up the app, I found that the recording was not there. After a few emails back and forth with customer support, I discovered that I needed to uninstall the recording app and reinstall it for the recording to show up. Meantime, I had to post the interview with Lawrence for an upcoming show in Ohio, and so I did the best I could by paraphrasing and not direct quoting. That being said, now that I've got the recording back, I wanted to share it because it's a great interview with the longtime member of Styx. As he points out, he's not the original singer, but really that's okay with me. I knew that going into the interview, and I still think he's got a great story to tell. So here's my interview with Styx singer Lawrence Gowan. If you will indulge me for a second, I'll give you just a brief history of my career. So um, yeah. I started, started college in 1989. I started writing in 1991. In 1991 yeah. was obviously sort of the birth of alternative music and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And those were the bands that yeah. like I was interested in and bands that I yeah. like to write about. I grew up yeah. in the 70s and 80s. My blood, my my musical birth is listening to bands like Styx and Journey and Foreigner and Ario uh-huh. Wagon and all that stuff. And so, yeah. yeah, it is such a thrill for me this many years later because in the '90s, when I was writing <laughs> the college paper, no nobody wanted me to write about Styx and Journey and Foreigner, right? Because that was not the college college. That was the old guy music, right? <laughs> but now that I'm an old guy, it is such a thrill to be able to talk to people like yourself. Mm-hmm. I got to interview Lou Graham a few years ago, and um, I'll just tell you, yeah. it, it's a, it's a total thrill for me so thank you for yeah, taking the time that's my pleasure absolutely my pleasure i um you know not not to, not to dampen that um your enthusiasm for that but you know i i i've been in the band as of two days ago i've been in the band for 22 years so yeah. i was not i was not part of the sticks when you were when you were a kid you know getting all these fanciful ideas in your head um but but uh but i i I've been in it long enough now that I can I can I can represent what the band has uh, evolved into for the last uh, for, for the last few decade couple of decades anyway. But uh, no, that's great what you're saying. I think it's a great testament to the fact that I still listen to the music that I listened to as a kid because I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't listen to a Beatles song. And I remember uh, having a great experience uh, back in the '80s when I, I got a chance to make my second solo album at Ringo's house. And so I'd get to see him on a daily basis, <laughs> and it was it was astounding, you know, to to think this is is this a reality? Is this a real life experience that I'm having here? Because the the music of your of your childhood is probably what's going to stick with you longest. As cool as you were at the end of college, you know, listening to writing about Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam and all those those bands, are great bands. It's different when it's your the intellectual adult that is kind of connected to the to a, to a band because they're um you, you can see them as great musicians but also human beings whereas as a kid you see them as superheroes <laughs> so there's that kind of distinction absolutely and and i i'm well aware that that you're not the original member um but i and this is a terrible yeah. analogy but i'm a cleveland indians fan 
And yeah. <laughs> I'm still a fan of the Cleveland Indians today and the team and what it represents as I was in the 90s, right? And so you are helping keep this music alive, and, and you're putting your take on it. So um, I'm well, thrilled to be talking to Lawrence Gowan and not not yeah. necessarily <laughs> – you're as important to me in the history of sticks yeah. as, as anybody else. Well, that's great. That's great. And I, I, I see that the band is – the band is the culmination of the efforts of the 10 people that have ever been in it. There's only right. ever been 10. The band's just about half a century old. It, it will be that as of February, 2022, we keep eyeballing that date and realizing, holy shit, the band's been <laughs> 50 years. That's, that's, that's shocking, but that takes, that takes the efforts of everyone that's been in the band. So uh, obviously, you know, Chuck's brother, John Panazzo, and you've got John Serluski, and obviously Dennis DeYoung with all that he contributed, and, and Glenn Burtnick at the beginning of the 90s when you were writing about um, <laughs> about the grunge era. And so that, that those are all important factors as, as to the, the, the fact that the band still exists. And around 1990, I, I often bring this up. I don't know why we veered in this direction, but I, I, one of my stellar bands that I was still just just young enough to kind of see them as 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 much larger than life was yes or early yes and mm-hmm. w- particularly when Wakeman joined and around 1990 that so that's early 70s in around 1990 Rick Wakeman gave a, an interview where they asked him does it bother you when you see other keyboard players you know Patrick Mraz or you know uh you know the the, the various keyboard players that had joined Yes during eras when he was not part of it. And his answer at the time, I took his answer as being ridiculous. And now I know that his answer was absolutely 100% accurate, (laughs) right on the money. And the answer was this. He said, you know, 200 years ago, there was a London symphony and they were playing Beethoven. And today there's a London symphony and they're playing Beethoven. And, no one bats an eye. He said, there will be a yes a hundred years from now with yeah. long after we're all dead and buried. And at the time I thought, well, Rick, that's just dumb. <laughs> and now I realize, no, it's, it's already proven because, <laughs> because there is, there are not only one, there are two yeses out there at the moment, really, if you count, you know, Anderson, Ray, uh, Raven, and, and Wakeman, yeah. and the yes band that's out there with Steve Howe, and uh, Chris, well, was with Chris until he left the planet, and the, the, that's the, that's what the band is today, you know, and that's yeah. how it will, that's how it will continue to, to go on, because the music has survived. People yeah. want to hear Close to the Edge. People want to hear Grand Illusion, you know. So anyway, long, long-winded answer to probably not where you wanted this conversation to go, but there you have it. No, no, that's fantastic. And and I will tell you that I, I enthusiastically, the minute they went on sale, bought a ticket to see Foreigner this year. Great. And yeah, and great. For, for that for that exact reason, it's the music. It's the music that I that I grew up that has been part of me. And, you know, if I could see all the original members, that would be great. But you know what? I've, I I actually saw them a few years ago, and I, yeah. I they sound great. It's amazing. They are, they, I, we, I, we know all those guys who tour with them a lot, and yeah. they are they are the um, let's just say they are the correct custodians to carry yeah. that forward because you know you you have you know Mick Mick is with them as much as he as much as he can be, yeah. uh, which gives it the authentic thing. But he is his hand. Is in every is in every musician, uh, you know, every every choice of of who 
is on that stage and who carries that music forward. You know, he he has guided that, and I I know them personally well. And Jeff Pilson is yeah. probably equal equal to, in my estimation, to what to what Mick is as far as the authenticity of what the band uh, puts forth. Yes, and speaking of of authenticity, while Sticks does maintain original members, the the new music sounds like classic Sticks. I mean, I think that's like. A, you're not relying just on the past. And, and you could vary. There's a ton of bands that do that, right? That, that go out and play greatest hit sets and that's it. But you guys have continued yeah. to make music and it's music that is not foreign to my ears. I can hear a song and say, right. oh, that's, a, that's a stick song. That's, that's great to hear because that, that is the mandate when, when we're in the studio, both writing and recording in both of those, those phases. The, the song has to, it has to simultaneously represent, you know, the, the the present and who the band is today and and fire all the uh, all all the ammunition that we have as musicians today while maintaining uh, a, 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 an obvious tether to the era that we are upholding the legacy of a band that we're upholding so that leads to decisions like for example in, in my little corner of the room where I have to do my painting. <laughs> um, Making sure that you know that with all the newfangled great keyboard options that are out there, both virtual and and re and uh, physical, I still defer as often as possible to a Steinway piano and a Hammond B3. Those are the stock answers that I have to take every song and ring out all the possibilities that I can think of with those two instruments before any synthesizers or anything else comes into the uh, comes into the circle. The the thing with sticks. Uh, so I saw the Eagles, you know, four or five years, maybe I, I can't remember, a couple years ago. And what yeah. struck me about the Eagles is that I own maybe a couple Eagles albums, but it was yeah. a song after song, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Oh wow, this is them. Oh yes, this one. It, yeah. Again, it's ingrained in me. Um, very similar to sticks, right? I like. There's yeah. a, so I'm in Columbus, Ohio, which is an hour east of where you're playing yeah. on the 23rd. Um, yeah. We have a classic rock radio station called QFM 96. And when I hear yeah. songs like Blue Collar Man, Renegade, yeah. I often, yeah. those aren't the first songs I think of, but I'm like, oh, of course, there's, oh, how could I have forgotten about this song? So That's how great. difficult or easy is it, I'm going to guess not easy, to put together a set list, yeah. given that you have a certain block of time that you have to fill and you've got more than enough stuff to fill that time? Here's here's the difficult part. Okay, first of all, there's the easy part. In in every six show, you're going to hear the two songs you just referred to, like Renegade, Blue Collar Man, Come Sail Away, Grand Illusion, Fooling Yourself, uh, Too Much Time. My hands. <laughs> those, those, are, <laughs> those are those are those are so there's there's half the set is already carved. It's yeah. already there. Okay. Um, the difficult part is the rest of it because so many songs. There's just such a, a, I'll use JY's quote, there's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to choices of songs to play. So, and, and then we have the new album that we wanted, that we want to keep that represented in there. And how do we, how do we make sure that it's, it, it works itself in. So that's the balancing act. Uh, one of the current things that's working really, really sweetly in a way is that there's a song on the new album uh, called Sound the Alarm. Mm -hmm. And Tommy Shaw will play two verses of that that segues straight into Crystal Ball. And that seems to be a really 
uh, you know, easy fit to kind of balance both sides of that equation because, it, again, like you said about with seeing the Eagles, people go, oh, my God, I forgot about – they might <laughs> – you know, a portion of the audience might suddenly go, of course, Crystal Ball, I forgot that song too. That's, you know, I yeah. started getting six albums with pieces of eight. You know what I mean? They, they might um, they might go, but I forgot about that song. And yeah. that's that is definitely part of the experience of of seeing a band with that kind of a legacy. Is you, there are going to be surprises that you forgot in that moment. There's going to be a surprise where you go, "Oh my God, I forgot." That's that's by them as well. Yeah. So yeah, you can see you can see that on their faces uh, quite often. And I've been to concerts where I've had no albums by an artist and known every single song. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, the very first time I saw Billy Joel. I didn't have any of his records, but I was signed to Columbia Columbia Records in Canada, and so I got tickets to his show. And when I went to his show, I sang every single song, and then the next day I started getting his records, you know, because yeah. his concert, his concert was such a great experience. And uh, and I realized, yeah, I know I know this guy's catalog without even, and that's just the power that radio had then, and and still does. But but now we rely upon the. There are so many other mediums to to uh, to get that music through to people and younger people that weren't even born when the biggest records of the classic or era were made. They come out and they know every single song. Yeah, so, great. That's a great segue. So I was going to say that um, I, I I I noticed that you do uh, Instagram and you post stuff on there. I do. Yes, <laughs> and that's a good, that's a good way to connect with everybody regardless yeah. of age. It's, it's a very easy yeah. access and medium. Um, do you consider that sort of a, a part of the job, quote-unquote job, that you have to do, or do you just enjoy putting stuff out there and you don't care if you have one follower or 10,000 followers? Is it is it something you enjoy doing, or is it something that feels like sort of to keep your name out there and keep the music promotion something you have to do? No, I, I, I first of all, Two words, job and work, have not really entered into my vocabulary when it comes to describing what, I, what I'm fortunate enough to do and, and make a living at it. You know, as a musician, I, it's, it's a joy. That's and uh, there's, there's hardship that comes with it because there's, there's devotion and dedication and, and, uh, and choices that you have to make in order to keep doing it. For example, you know, are you willing to spend at least half the year away from home? Well, yeah, absolutely I am because of this, although I love being at home. So th- that aspect of it, I realize that there's there there's there's a price for that commitment. But um, as far as the social media stuff goes, I think it's fun. I, I think, you know, and as far as numbers of followers, what I'm more concerned with is do sticks have enough? So at just under 2 million, that's plenty. You know, that's, that's plenty of people that are, that are well aware of what's going on. And then we have our splinter, you know, fun that I have with my I, a gallon site with, because people in Canada just know me as a one-name guy from the 80s. Yep. And uh, and then I have a Lawrence Gallon site where people are Sticks fans or that are aware that I actually had a first name are over there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then Instagram is – I like – I tend to like that one a lot because it it seems very positive. Instagram it never never has it never seems to have all these uh, uh, you know there's, people seem to go to that you know for fun reasons you know and not necessarily to get the the latest um, you know political bend on something. You know? If if, <laughs> you know? if you could 
if you could see me now, I'm shaking my head emphatically up yeah. and down. I, I've basically, I've given up on Facebook for those reasons. Uh, Instagram, yeah. you're well, right. It's, it's, Instagram makes me smile. <laughs> it makes me happy. And so yeah. that's, that's where I stick to most of my social yeah. media is Instagram. You're too, you're, you're, you're young enough to go, yeah, Facebook's for the old folks. And <laughs> I, I enjoy Facebook because I, I, I stay away from intentionally. I keep reminding myself that it's only the musical statements that, that, that I'm part of that yeah. have any relevance at, at all. And that means that, that people can personalize that music and have it mean something to them without me turning this into a, this is my own choice. If, it, if anyone wants to do it, they can do whatever they like right. on it, of course, and people do. But I, I, I find that, that music is a great uniter of people. You know, people from all walks of life, people who don't even speak the same language as you, can be screaming your song at the top of their lungs, not even knowing what they're singing, and yet at the same time they're connected through that that miracle of melody. That um, that is really what I'm. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a disciple of that. You know, and that's right. that's really what I'm trying to uh, uh, that I'm trying to put out into the world. And any any little messages I may have should be worked into a lyrical form and and so anyway, my my point is that um, yeah, I I embrace the social media world. I I like it. I I think it's uh, I, I think it's great if it's used for uh, particularly for musical purposes and and <laughs> and to serve my own. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So it's 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 like uh, it's also it's a great advertising thing when you know when people want to know where you're playing when. It used to be difficult if it was you know if it was like I oh, know they didn't. They didn't publish it in this newspaper, but they did put it out in this, you know, uh, you know, street paper, etc. Or this radio station didn't announce it, but this one did because they're the presenting station. This is a great way of kind of instantly giving people access to knowing where you are and what you're up to, and and if they want to come and see a show. So, yeah. for those reasons, I I definitely definitely uh, enjoy it. Don't see it as in, in any way as being a burden. And I I'll go long stretches without even looking at it or, or posting anything if there's nothing significant or fun to uh, to share. Yeah. Now again, you, you've segued. You you've given you've teed up some of the questions I have, and that's perfect. So I. Sincerely okay, appreciate sure. that. <laughs> um, okay. uh, so, um, mm-hmm. in terms of your solo career, I'll admit that I'm not terribly familiar with it. The only no, you that, wouldn't be. The way that I knew your name, however, is I have a scrapbook that um, back in the early '90s when I'd go to a concert, I'd pick up that free weekly paper that you're talking about, and I'd cut yeah. out the club ad so that I could remember. 30 years yeah. later, that I saw these bands, and you played, right. and I have in my scrapbook, I saw um, Extreme with Alice yeah. in Chains opening at the Akron Agora. Yeah. And a week before, in the ad that I'm looking at right now, Rock 107 presents in concert going with Cherry Lane and Rough Honor. So you were in that ad. You're, you're, the, the, the font for your name is bigger than Extreme and Alice in Chains. Um, so I've always seen your name in this ad. And I, and, you know, before Spotify and all that kind of stuff, I wasn't familiar with who you were or what you did. Right. So... So, so after we finish this call, you're going to text me that uh, that photo of that, okay? Because I want yeah. I want to have that. Yeah. Uh, so this was in Columbus or in Cleveland? So it was actually Akron, which is um, about an hour south. Akron, of Cleveland. Ohio. Yeah, in yeah. Akron, Ohio. Yeah, okay, yeah. got it. So, so what happened with my in my solo career? I'll, I'll give you a briefly encapsulated. Yes. In the 1980s, the, the big difference in the music industry in the 1980s, well, really mid-60s, 70s, and 80s, is that the four major labels, 
carved up the world, right? They carved up the world of music and they, they had, and that's how they built empires out of it because this is terribly boring. You don't have to put this in your article. But <laughs> they, they, were, they were the gatekeepers of music around the world. And that's, that seems so antiquated now when we think of the of what the internet offers. Everyone gets a worldwide release and every, uh, everyone's on an equal playing field in that regard. Um, of course, there are ways of tilting it. But um, back then... Although I was signed to an American label with Columbia Records, they, you know, they had acts that that were big in Germany that stayed in Germany, even if they right. sang in English. They had acts that were big in Canada, though that's a, a smaller market. To whom they would kind of there was a little bit of a carrot, a carrot in the stick thing where it was like, well, if your record goes gold, we'll release it in the U.S. So you know, we'd call them and say, well, it's gone gold. Say, well, let's see if it gets to platinum. And they get to platinum. Say, let's see if it gets double platinum. They get to double platinum. And then, you know, triple platinum. And that that's how my career was. And the, the funny thing, well, not funny, but the, the reality of it was that that they would trade off artists a great deal. So, for example, on my own label, on Columbia, you know, the U.S. wanted to break. This is just, I'm just pulling names right now. But sure. they, wanted to break, they wanted to break Bruce Springsteen in the U.K., Mm-hmm. And the UK goes, yeah, but we really want to break this band Wham that has this guy George Michael. So there'd be a trade-off where it's like, okay, we'll we'll begin, we'll, we'll trade acts and promote them that way. Canada was in a different different uh, boat, so to speak, because it's a smaller market and had we we automatically got all the all the American big stars were instantly big stars in Canada. There was never any. Uh, any break in that, but the but the reverse was difficult to to pull off. Yeah. In my case, because I was under the same management as Rush, my manager then was able to kind of say, "Look, this guy's had with the connections that he had through them, particularly in Ohio, because Rush broke on Mercury Records. They broke through Cleveland on WMMF. Yep. So look, we've got I've got this guy, this other act, and he's got the song A Criminal Mind. It's number one here. It's above Tears of Fears and Phil Collins and Madonna and all the other. Will you give it a shot? Well, you know, they wound up doing that. And it got into the top 20 just on import, you know, just, just by import alone. So I wound up playing. I opened the, the, the tour for Tears for Fears, and I uh, opened a show for Foreigner. On for- oh, wow, you're a Foreigner fan. Foreigner 4. Wow. At uh, Richfield, uh, Richfield Coliseum. Yeah. Coliseum. yeah. Great memory, yeah. And I, I remember the A&R guy uh, for, for CBS Records, you know, because got an encore and, and came on and played a criminal mind. The audience was singing it, and he said, "You must be the most frustrated guy on earth. You, you know, you're having this reaction here, and I'm hearing nothing from New York about pushing your record." He said, "I got to be honest with you, it's kind of frustrating because I'm just I can't keep importing records from Canada." <laughs> right. And I wound up getting to play, you know, one of their lunchtime concerts, and I did play in Akron, and and the, but I never had a, a release in the United States, so. I felt one of one of those acts that fell through the cracks, as they yeah. as they say. Uh, but it was funny because to this day, I, I'll come to America and, and someone will say to me, "I saw you at the um, the at uh, the Argon Ballroom in Chicago when you opened for Tears of Fears, and I got your record the next day." And you know, it was hard to get, but I went to the import section, <laughs> and yeah. it's it's funny. So there's there is that connection. The, the lovely thing about being in sticks now is that YouTube and all those 
those those channels are are open to people to to delve into the, my past. And so when I go and play my solo, my few sh- solo shows in Canada every year, I see these American sticks fans that show up at these shows and and. So it's it's all been that's due to social media. That's right. basically because they can delve into this without having to drive to a record store. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very really happy to be in the, in, the, in the, you know still doing this in in the in a time when that's possible. Yeah. So that that was a long that long winded answer, but there you go. No, that no, that that I wondered why I wasn't familiar with your music, and that explains yeah. it. And so that being said, your music is on Spotify. If if for somebody like yeah. myself or or Styx fans who aren't familiar with your music, what would yep. you say would be the starting point that we should all head to? I think if you're into '80s music, okay, the, the two albums yep. I would go to is if you're if you understand the '80s and understand what the production was at that time, etc., and the mindset, then the the album Strange Animal. Is that that was a triple platinum record in in Canada, and Styx play. We do our own version of a Criminal Mind, which was the the first hit off that record, and then the title track, Strange Animal was. And these these songs, Strange Animal and Cosmetic, no, not Cosmetic, Cosmetics is the opening track. Um, so brief history on that album. That was recorded at Ringo Starr's home, Tittenhurst Park in England. I referred to that early on. So he was there well, for the making of that record, and that's also where John Lennon recorded Imagine. It was his, it was his home before it was Ringo's. So the beautiful connection there, and it's also it was Peter Gabriel's three three musicians from Peter Gabriel's band are the band on that record. So there's wow. Jerry Moran, Tony Levin, and David Rhodes. So there was that would be my first representation from there. Other than that, there's a single if you just want to listen to one song. There's a single from '87 called uh, Moonlight Desires. Where I got John Anderson from Yes to come and sing on that song with me. That's a good one to go to. And then, if you want a more '90s uh, mentality or, or, or mindset, um, I really being—it's funny being a keyboard player. But I decided in the '90s, let, I'm going to start writing songs on acoustic guitar because I really love the whole unplugged movement that, that came out in the '90s in tandem with the, with grunge. There was that unplugged thing, and, and I was far more. Uh, it was better for me to express, you know, my, myself in that era in that unplugged uh, notion. So I had a record that did really well. That's called uh, used my full name. It's called Lawrence Gowan, but you can call me Larry. <laughs> and <laughs> and that album, it was kind of a way of kind of uh, unmasking or you know basically scribbling over the the 80s mindset that was you know built around being a video star and all that. And this was far more eyeball to eyeball type songs. Yeah. And the, that would be the other record. So I'd say Strange Animal would be the album one I'd listen to and the second one for a 90s uh, no, uh, idea is But You Can Call Me Larry. That's great. And then, you know, was it, yeah, so if you want to check those ones out, you, you might find something in there that, you, that at least you'll understand yeah. where I was coming from and where when I came into the the orbit of sticks it was because of those records that they they took note of me and why we wound up doing a show together at the montreal the new montreal forum in 1997 and then subsequently they asked me to join the band awesome i, I definitely want to be respectful of your time i don't know if you have a hard stop at 12 30 um, you know what i do I, i'm one minute i'm supposed to do the next one and then i'm enjoying this conversation so it's 
Anyway, can I can I get one last question? So um, you're yeah, like I said, you're sure. going to be you're going to be in in Ohio in a couple of weeks. Um, how how satisfying yeah. is that? That coming out of the lockdown, nobody really knew what was going to happen, right? And you come out yeah. of the gate, and the show is sold out. Well, we we learned something really great over the course of that pandemic through social media. It was how much people were missing live concerts, how much they meant to their lives, and how much they kind of built a lot of their year was built around what concerts they would go to and just how enamored they are or how it, how it enriched their lives. Yeah. So we knew out of the gate that they were going to be chomping at the bit. The great, the greatest thing that happened though is that our new album, and please see if you can work this into it, the, the fact that in the first week of us touring, it went to number one on the rock album chart on yeah. Billboard. So Billboard, having a number one rock album on Billboard and a tour beginning simultaneously after a 16-month lockdown, <laughs> it's kind of like the universe threw us a bone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you've you've done your penance along with the rest of the world. Here, here's here's something to go and enjoy yourselves for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. So it, it couldn't be better. So I'll let you get to the next one. This is probably a yes, no, or I, I can't tell you answer. The show, the show in Ohio, um, Night Rangers opening, is there a chance yeah. for a half-damn Yankees reunion? I, it, it's possible because whenever we've, it, uh, Tommy and Jack have gotten together and we've, we've done shows with Night Ranger before, I, there, there's a chance of, you know, the, there could be a moment. But I can never promise that because it comes down to how the day unfolds sure. and if if Tommy's ready when those guys are on stage, they might he might go on and join them for a song or you know, yep. uh, like that. Yeah, that that's it's. I, I wouldn't. I'd say that's in the tea leaves. <laughs> you know, if you if you believe in what the tea leaves are saying, but I would not. I'm not referring to the crystal ball. Oh my god! <laughs> and the uh, ending it on a dad joke. That's that a great way good. to end it. I, okay. I so again, I, I sincerely appreciate it. It's been a it's been an honor to talk to you and um and congratulations on all the current success and i'm sure it's going to continue on thank you chip it was a it was a pleasure speaking with you i hope we get a chance to do it again sometime 